Welcome everyone. This is Deb, researcher of Calling All Beings and host of Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today, I'm happy to welcome Jason Bolheffer. Jason is a Navy vet, InfoSec engineer, ethical hacker, and ham radio general. I met Jason in a Twitter talk space where he provided great input regarding the possible physics of UAPs. Additionally, in his spare time, Jason likes to volunteer for SETI. Welcome. Thank Welcome. you. Glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much to talk to you about. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> okay. Well, the very first thing I'd like to talk to you about um, is your service, which thank you very much for providing service to the country. So could you please give us some information regarding your background with the Navy? Oh, sure. So I joined the Navy back in 2004. Um, shortly after my dad died and the dot-com bubble had crashed and just a lot of things around. I, at the time, I was living in Boston. I grew up in Boston. And um, I was just thinking, you know, I'd really like to learn more about cryptography, um, get, get a little bit more math under my belt. And, um, and and listen to the airwaves. And uh, I knew that the, the Navy um, and the Air Force both had, and the Army, uh, all had um, programs for what's essentially cryptography um, or uh, what used to be the radioman. So if you were in like the CTR designation, which I was in the Navy, um, it was basically the old um, radioman designator, but now CTR with cryptography also included in it. So that's what I did. Um, I did that for six years in the Navy, started on the USS Farragut. I pre-commed um, the ship out of Bath, Maine. Uh, pre-com meaning I was there when it was built and I was one of the, I was part of the original crew after it was built. And then you're, you're known as a plank owner. Um, from there um, out to sea, I just sat there doing what is referred to as spinning and grinning on a ham radio transceiver, more or less. Big glorified metal box in a very secure space on the ship right above combat, or CIC as it is. And um, it was me and a small team, and we just took turns sitting there listening to what was on the airwaves. And the closer we got to hostile, quote-unquote, nations, um, that's where I would pick up signals of interest that I would then have to try to crack. Um, I did, uh, I was awarded um, a Navy Achievement Marine Corps, uh, sorry, I can't talk, Navy Marine Corps Achievement Medal uh, for breaking 400 signals of interest um, while I was on the Farragut twice. Um, so that was a big honor um, and it was actually a lot of fun. Well, congratulations oh. for achieving so much. It's incredible. That's a lot. Yeah, thank you. And, and <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a nerd. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and we actually really appreciate that you're part of this conversation. We love having intelligent people be part of this conversation, of course. So um, did you ever have a signal of interest that you're able to share about that relates to the topic of UAPs? Sort of, yeah. Um, so when listening, especially when I, when you're out in the middle of the ocean, right, you don't have a lot of what's called EMF or um, 
or QRM or QRN, a little bit of QRN, which is man-made noise on the ship, um, which would be like from like the machinists and things like that. Uh, QRM would be like electromagnetic uh, interference, which you don't get a lot of. The antennas are really high up on the mast. And so you're out in the sea, you don't have anything, you know, you don't have your cell towers in the way, you don't have anything else radiating. So you can hear with a very low noise floor, which is wonderful. Sometimes you could hear pulsars, um, you know, and they were pretty obvious. You would just look at your spectrum analyzer and just see the almost like this wong, wong, wong going up and down. And that was pretty cool. And that's up at the very high frequencies. I can't remember the frequency off the top of my head that I would see them on, but I mean, up in the gigahertz, right? Um, a lot of where I stayed was in between three kilohertz, uh, well, three hertz and around 3.2 gigahertz, which is where I played in most of the time in the Navy. And a lot of the weird stuff, I would say, and I, I define weird as can't really, it wasn't man-made, um, wasn't coming from Earth, was coming from space. And I know that because we had direction-finding antennas. And so my system would tell me what direction a signal was coming from. And if it's showing it's coming from you, it's coming from space because it's coming from directly above. So wow. I would hear very faint. I mean, they weren't always very loud or a high decibel or anything. Um, but sometimes I would get just like very short bursts of what looked like packets almost, like almost intelligible, but... Like nothing I had at my disposal could decode it. And, you know, with a little bit of data, I would get off some of these bursts. And really, they they seemed intelligent. But, you know, we as humans, we also see patterns and things. So it's, um, you know, one of those things where, and it, it'd be like, you know, I might have come across these kinds of signals maybe... 10 to 15 times um and it was usually when i was sort of around the south atlantic where i would pick them up um and they would like on the oscilloscope it looked like a sine wave so it you know it was definitely emf um and then on the spectrum analyzer and on the periodicity machine periodometer it had what looked like ones and zeros, sort of. So, like, intelligible. Like, it looked like it had peaks and valleys. What so, happened when you presented that information? You don't. You just, <laughs> wow. You just weren't even allowed to say anything about it? Like, I thought I wasn't allowed. It's just that, you, like, when you have something like that, it only takes one or two times where you present it to your chief or you present it to your division officer and they're like, yeah, if, if you can't get anything intelligible out of it, just throw it away. So I didn't really forward anything like that to, to any other analysts, unfortunately, uh, mostly because of the bandwidth we had. Um, but yeah. So. so unfortunately, that means there was probably a lot of data that just got tossed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's kind of why I got my ham radio license, right? So it's trying to pick up some of those signals again. Um, 
so yeah, course, but you, yeah. So after you uh, were in the Navy, you got interested in doing that and became, um, you know, a, a specialist with that essentially. Um, and the official title is Ham Radio General. So could you please explain to people how that works, how you get that license? Oh, sure. So there's three different levels of ham radio license in the United States. Um, and other countries have either two or three uh, levels generally, uh, where in the U.S. anyway, we have um, your beginning license, was, which is technician, then your intermediate license, which is general, which is what I have, which lets you play in the HF bands and some of the higher um, microwave bands. And then you have expert, which gives you a little bit more in some of those um, the bands that we have as general, but a little bit lower in the band. So like, for instance, 40 meters, we can we have like 7.1501 above. Generals have 7. Um, I mean, experts have below that. So like in the, the lower frequencies, which allow for further um, generally what we call DX, um, which is further communication than you can on just a little bit higher in the frequency band. Um, generally, not always, but usually. And that's why they call it the DX windows. And the experts get those. And it's just a little bit more in the frequency space. Um, the way to get it... I was going to ask regarding um, the, the level you're at now, do you think that's going to be sufficient for what seems to be your interest, which is detecting signals, which, yeah. as we mentioned earlier, is also um, partly for SETI? I'm actually working on my expert. I just got my general a few months ago. Um, but keep this in mind. You do not need a license to listen. You only need a license to transmit. Okay, so if you only want to listen, you can get just a receiver or a transceiver if you can find one um, on eBay or something for a pretty good price um, and just not transmit on it. And you could still receive all the same signals and then try to decode them. Right. As far as I understand it, it's if you want to speak to someone, then you require the license. Exactly. Okay. So do you have a recommendation for which transceiver someone should get? Anything you can afford. Um, I would say the easier ones that I find are like the ICOM brand and Yesu brand. Um, Kenwood also. Um, they all have, I mean, they all have a learning curve. I think ICOMs are probably one of the easier brands to, to use. Um, good for entry level. And they give you, um, if you get a um, any of these brands, um, and you get an HF rig, it'll give you the capabilities of HF generally on all the, the frequencies. Well, that's incredible to think that we could all just be sitting at home listening, you know, and trying to find something. Yeah, now a big part of that is a, an antenna, right? So ah. if you want to listen to, say, shortwave, you need a long antenna. Um, so, you know, what I would recommend is something like an NFED half wave. Um, you can get 133 feet with a 49 to 1 um, on-on, which is basically a like a transformer box with a, a, a raptoroid, um, which brings down the, the impedance 
of the antenna from a, from about 400 ohms to 50 ohms, which the radio was happy with. So that's a pretty inexpensive uh, way to go. Um, I have mine just um, clipped to my four foot fence, going around all the way around the fence, and I get really good reception. Um, well, I actually have a very special surprise. Our co-host of Calling All Beings has arrived and will be joining us in just a moment. Welcome, DJ. Hey, well, hey Dubs! What's going on, man? Introduce me to your brother in here. Yes, this is Jason. Jason was just talking to us about um, which antenna he recommends for being able to listen to signals that could potentially be UAP. Wow, Jason, man, are you in communication? I well, in the Navy, I was a cryptologist, a CTR, so a glorified radio man with a lot of cryptography background. Can I get um, an amen from my Navy brother? Oh yeah, there, there. You know, there might be a little bit of you know craziness up in here, but I am serious about my UAPs. Here I go. <laughs> yes. So Jason is actually someone that um, knows quite a bit about the possible physics of the UAPs. Ah, uh, finally, Jason, talk to me, brother. What's going down? Let me let me preface this by saying I know the possible physics of just what's in my wheelhouse, right? Okay. So when I look at like what I've seen and what people describe of of these. Orbs. Let's just call the like. Let's start with the orbs. So you see the orbs out space, and then you just see it move really fast and just stellar, right? So it just goes like left, right, left, right, up, down, whatever, and then it just shoots out into space. How can it move that fast? And and then when you see some some UA, UAPs or UFOs, um, usually they're described as a cylinder or something that's like maybe even oval or it, it just doesn't look like it it can fly right? right it doesn't make sense one way to explain that is something called um i had it up i always pronounce it wrong sure <laughs> um, <laughs> i want to say it's Hershreiber or Hershreiber or something like that but it's um it's basically the lift anti-gravity which isn't really anti-gravity. Um, basically what it is, is with energy um, on a specific mathematical geometric shape, you can get an electromagnetic radi uh, radiation form that pushes inward force of gravity radiating energy of ions. So it looks like it's anti-gravity, but it's actually ion propulsion. And you'll see this technology on like the the um the stealth bomber, Blackbird. Um, and this is all you it's all um open free um info on the internet that, that's been published. I've heard that about the stealth bomber, but I don't think that's correct. I've I haven't been able to find a, a, a military reference for that. If I find it, I will link it to you uh, yeah. with a proper citation. Yeah, I had some. I had a uh, discussion with one of our colleagues that Deb's familiar with um, about this, and and I, 
I don't know that to to be the case. I, what I do know is the the engine on the SR seventy one works a little bit different than uh, a, a, your normal jet engine because the air at the intake gets to a a supersonic level, and so that the nose cone on that moves in and out. The properties change a little bit uh, in terms of um, how we intake uh, air, we compress it, we ignite it, and then and then we uh, send it out through a nozzle, so to speak, a suck, squeeze, bang, blow. We like to say that, but doesn't sound so PG. But the in terms of the stealth bomber and aircraft like that, it the, the magic of that aircraft is really based around the materials that they've made the wing wings and the fuselage with that are have these radar absorbing properties combined with the geometric shape that has a tendency to deflect radar energy away and not offer the return that would allow the radar operator to discern its full size. Right. We had that on the uh, destroyer as well. Um, right. All, most Navy ships are stealth and nobody really knows that. Um, yeah. And, um, but if you look at the shape, and the weight characteristics of a B-2 bomber, it defies physics with back propulsion. So when you look at a bumblebee, for instance, mm-hmm. same idea, right? A bumblebee defies physics. It okay. weighs too much, has tiny wings. How the hell does it fly? Mm-hmm. Again, it's ion propulsion. Yep, It makes its own ion propulsion. Um, and um, it's actually not new. Um, it's been pretty well researched. At first, um, they thought it was kind of a joke. Um, they thought it was basically like selling snake oil. Um, but people were making them. I made one. You know, just nine volt battery. Hook it up to a little triangle of foil, and there it goes. It floats. Oh, um, I'm not. I'm not in disagreement with anybody about that. I don't. What I what I've told the other individual that I was discussing with this with is I don't. I haven't seen a reference, a military reference. Other, I, I've seen, you know, I think he shared that somebody wrote it in their book or in their article, but I haven't seen a military reference that says that. What you do have with the B-2, what's required to gain lift on something of that size, it's a, obviously it's a flying wing. Mm-hmm. And when you propel that wing form, that teardrop shape that basically is a product of Bernoulli's theorem, Newton's first and third laws of physics, and you propel that through the air, it creates lift. Obviously, it has ailerons that it that allow mm-hmm. it to turn, and it doesn't have a, a, a traditional tail the way that the stealth fighter did, the F-117. Right. And um, it's not particularly fast, uh, but it 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 uh, I, I suppose the magic in it, as I'm told, is is to do with the uh, the skin and the geometric shape of it. Yeah, very well so, put. And I might be might be mis uh, misinformed. I believe so. But I, I do think that, you know, going back to just the theory of, of um, UAPs, I think that could be a just one possible explanation. They have some kind of ion propulsion drive, and that's, that's, that would work if they had, you know, some kind of energy source that we don't, um, that, or they're immune to radiation, um <laughs> something like that absolutely yeah. you know i mean i could keep thinking you know but i'm also a the type of person that don't i don't i don't believe anything until i see it or mm-hmm. until it's peer-reviewed um i am very much a student of 
you know, the liberal arts and science, right? So um, I still, I'm, I'm very open-minded, but, um, and these are just at best, you know, they're not even theories. They're, they're ideas. I like it because these are, I mean, this is what we're living on now is trying to figure out what's going on and people like you that are, are coming up with ideas is better than somebody who has no idea and just goes, ah, oh, it's not real. Um, you know, I mean, if, if, if you're developing an idea and even rising to the level of a hypothesis, this is extremely valuable because we, we don't know. And we have to, we have to come together and think about these things and go, okay, what, what could do this? What does it mean when they go in the water? Does that, you know, we've heard them say, uh, people like Lou Elizondo, they're extracting energy from the water. That sounds really plausible. You know, they're somehow able to dip into the water. And next thing you know, they got a supply of hydrogen. I don't know. You know, it's <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And why, why do they target certain animals? Who knows? Right. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I've tried to think about it. And I'm like, I have no idea what the cow have that we don't um you know and uh it's kind of funny but you know i and i can also think of other ways uh based on our understanding of physics and quantum physics that they can travel so fast from you know what i see as eyewitness accounts and and what i've seen right so i i've seen weird you know like i was a kid and I'm looking up up at the sky, walking out of the store for, with my for my mom, and I'm looking up, and I just see this what I can best just be described as this tiny ball of light, right? And I'm like, oh, it's a must be a plane, but then it it moved really fast to the left, and then it moved really fast to the right, and then it it was just doing this way. And I'm checking, like I took off my glasses, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> what is that? And I'm like, and I I. You know, I'm like moving around. Like, is that an insect? What? Like, did you I'm know? Like, like, did you feel it right there? Did you know? I mean, yeah, you had to... I, I think I thought it was not ours. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure we don't have any technology like that. But, uh, you know, and this is back in like the 80s, right? Yeah. And, um, and I'm looking and I'm like, and this is, it appeared to be really far out there, like beyond our atmosphere. It was a really clear night in the winter. Oh, wow. Right. And I'm like, but it was really small, like from me, like my, my perception of it, like really far. It could have been huge. I don't even know. But, um, but for me, it was like a tiny, I don't know, eraser head up in the sky. Right. Just a bright eraser head up in the sky. And I just see it moving around. And then it just, like like a cartoon, like Goofy going off a ski cliff with his yahahahui, just or an anime where it goes bing out and just it just just right into the sky, just disappears, just like I could tell it was going straight straight out and just disappeared, and I was like I'm like I'm looking around like did anybody else see this? <laughs> and, the incredible thing is that Jason has other experiences. He not only has this experience um, where he's seen orbs, but Jason shared with me that he's one of the only people I've ever spoken to who has seen ball lightning. Yeah. Oh, wow. Can you please share about that experience? Yeah. So 
I thought it was St. Elmo's Fire until I did more research. Um, this was really weird. So it was it was a storm approaching. I do know that. Um, it was like one of those really dry days. Um, it was early spring um, where things are still thawing. And this is like New England, right? And uh, I was walking up the stairs and my mom had stopped. She was right in front of me. Um, halfway up the stairs and I'm following her up and she goes stop and then my grandmother comes running out of her room her room's on the left at the top of the stairs my room is on the right my window was closed my grandmother's window was open because it's spring she likes to let the fresh air in and my grandmother came out screaming saying there's lightning in my room and I'm like my mom's like freaking out and I'm like what <laughs> I'm like I whatever right and so i i go up and my mom looks and i look in there and there's this ball of lightning like like white <laughs> like like about this big so imagine the size of oh what's equivalent softball kind of I was, size i was thinking maybe a little cantaloupe. bigger yeah cantaloupe that's a good <laughs> yeah, cantaloupe that girl knows one. her produce, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it was just floating there, and it came through the window, um, and it was very slow, and it was moving across, but it was moving like it had directionality, like it was, it knew, like it had pre-programmed, like it knew. It was moving <laughs> with intention. <laughs> right, and, and it didn't bump into anything. And there's static coming off it and, and all this stuff. And me, my grandmother, and my mom step back on the stairs as a is about to cross the hallway. And I'm like, oh, crap, it's going to go into my room. And there's nothing open for it to escape. Wow. And so I ran into my room before it got there. My mom's yelling at me. And I open my window because it's like a straight line to my window. And I push out the screen and I just run into my closet. <laughs> and I so just... were you trying to give it an exit? Was that what you were doing? Yeah, because I'm okay. thinking if it hits my wall, it's going to set the house on fire, right? So That's good point. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And I open the window and I'm watching it. And my as it goes into my room, I can see my mom and my grandmother from my closet looking in my room and I'm looking at it. And, and it's just it's going around and it's just going, going, going. It just goes right out my window and it goes out and then just disappears. It just goes out into my backyard and just that's it. And how long was that? Would you say that it was in there? The total trend had to be 10 minutes. Wow. That's a long time, man. Yeah. I could have gone like to forever. the police station. I'm just kidding. What are they going to do about it? Or Ghostbusters or something. I mean, I don't know. Oh, I know. I, it'd be cool if it happened. And like now I just grab my camera phone and <laughs> go with the whole thing. Right. But, you know, it's the 80s. I don't know. You know, I I don't think my high eight camera was charged, you know. <laughs> so you don't look old enough to be I'm sorry, go ahead, Deb. Jason <laughs> yeah, and I um have spoken before about the ball lightning. Um and the fact that it seemed intelligent um is something that we just kind of paused on. The problem with ball lightning is that scientists seem to be in um, some disagreement about what it might be. And some people are comparing the ball lightning to orbs. Um, right. 
So it's really, it's a really confusing point. We don't really have an answer for. It's almost the equivalent of a UAP in the, in the fact that it is somewhat un unidentified also. Some scientists seem to think it's plasma. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's bizarre for something like that to not hit something electrical and short out in your house in 10 minutes. I know. No, no, it, it felt like, you know, it looked, it looked very self-contained. Even the static coming off, it wasn't coming off it like in arcs or anything. It was just very little bit. I don't, I don't even, I don't have an equivalent of anything to truly compare it against. Not so. many people have seen it. So, yeah, I don't have anything to compare it to. That would be really freaky, though. If it was there for 10 minutes, that would be rather scary. It does, it does make it seem like there's an intelligence involved in it, but uh, be it far from me. I have no knowledge of ball lightning other than we just talked about it. <laughs> well, it's definitely one of those things that has been seen for a long time um there are lots of reports of that it's actually been also part of some of our folklore that's true yeah i've read yeah. some folklore yeah it's Early. interesting so you know the, the the thing though is that you uh had that experience you had the orbs and then you had another type of experience can you tell dj about your other experience let's hear it jason let's go brother talking what about went the, one down? I, the one that i talked to about you last uh the other type of paranormal oh the other type okay so i come from <laughs> it appears i come from a long line of seers and um i do see ghosts um not just human but um other really? kinds of of ghosts cats dogs um yeah animals um and then occasionally you get that negative energy that you don't know what it is um sometimes they're referred to as like shadow people or demons or i'm not religious um and and basically right where i am i'm on a ley line um in south carolina um and for I don't know between what prominent, I haven't looked it up, what prominent um, places that are in between uh, at the ends. Mm -hmm. But my wife, my daughter, and me all see ghosts on a pretty regular basis just walking through our house. Wow. Yeah, they don't stop. They don't. Um, they just walk through. We had a lady last night or the night before. Um, Passing through the just comes in, sort of the uh, kitchen nook area in the back. Goes through the kitchen, goes through the dining room, right out the front, through the wall. <laughs> and it, they just walk right through. Um, we did have one hangout for quite a long time. Um, it was um, we had it was a a male, but I couldn't really nail down age or really what it looked like i only saw the energy not the facial um, features or any, no clothing or no nothing on this one it just hung out um and it hung out on one wall in my living room um it that one area all just and it was harmless it didn't do anything it just made itself known every once in a while and then it left what's your um, feeling about that what, what's your Let's talk about that. What, what's your feeling when you see uh, a being of some sort of paranormal 
in your home? What what do you feel? Most of my experiences have been we just have them all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're everywhere. I see them in a lot of places. I see them in some places more than others. Um, usually a place of an event or a place where a lot of people gather, um, hospitals, um, um, sporting event type places. Um, oh, so you're seeing them outside of the home, just oh, everywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a sixth sense type of thing. What so, do you, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dibs. Yeah, I, so my question about this is, you know, have you read Skinwalkers at the Pentagon yet? No, not yet. Okay. I have it. I have it bookmarked, but I haven't read it yet. Okay, so there's there's some um, perspective that, of course, there's crossover with other paranormal, or at least what used to be called other paranormal mm -hmm. and the UAP phenomenon. Mm -hmm. um, that shadow people are somewhat involved with orbs. Um, some people think there's possible interdimensional beings. And a lot of people are claiming that they're seeing like light beings and think other types of orbs and things like that. Um, so I wonder if you're just kind of tuning into what other people are seeing bits and pieces of, and you're seeing pretty much all of them. I don't know. <laughs> um, When I was, this was a couple of years ago when I was living in Florida, I was out in the back of my mother and my, my in-laws house in, um, San Augustine, Florida. And it was around midsummer night around that time. And I remember looking up and I just saw this river, like it's the best way I could explain it, just a river. Like it was some veil, right? Like maybe 40 feet above me. Mm -hmm. And I just started seeing it's hard to explain, but it was like oh the Did best the best way I could explain it, it was like being out to sea where you see the bioluminescent algae in the ocean a picture that 40 feet above you so it was just like that where you have this like bioluminescence to it and then you could see things in it like coming in and out of that so do you think that potentially it could have been a portal yeah yeah I, i'm pretty convinced actually hmm. i think that's exactly what it was look at deb's man the analyst <laughs> Well, that's what I do. Hey, yeah, I but... know. Hey, Deb, if, if you don't mind, I want to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. uh, because since you've had, you know, uh, Jason's had experiences, you've had experiences. Have you experienced a, uh, excuse me, a, um, help me out, Deb. A have you had a paranormal experience or, yes. or something with a ghost? Yes. I, As... knew I, knew, I, knew, I knew it. Do I get a bonus in my check this month, Deb? Go ahead. So, so actually, um, I haven't divulged my experiences really publicly. Um, so I have told DJ in the past that before I got pulled into this by some compulsion or whatever we want to call it, 
which um, was actually pretty recently. It's kind of crazy how much I learned very quickly. Um, when I was younger in my 20s, um, I did some ghost research. Oh, I forgot about that. I totally forgot that. I was actually, I joined a group in Maryland um, very, very briefly because unfortunately um, TAPS was very popular at that time. That uh, show on TV uh, that was involved with TAPS was popular. So I didn't stay with them very long. And when I did it, I went like full dork with it. I got like the EM detector and all that stuff. But anywho, so the reason I did that is because from a very young age, I was really intrigued by the paranormal. So I was going to places that had um, claims of being haunted. Um, I actually helped someone who was working for a radio station visit different haunted spots around Halloween for a brochure. And I happened to live near about an hour away um, a place that's considered to be rather haunted. Um, and that's where I learned that when you interact with the paranormal, hmm. you interact in different ways depending on your own abilities. So for me, and I actually was just talking to James from Engaging with Phenomenon about this yesterday. Sup, James? Yeah. Um, for me, it's all very sensory. Okay, so some people have visual abilities that are really strong. It sounds like that's where you are. Um, some people have auditory abilities that are really strong. Well, some clairvoyants describe like hearing voices. Um, mine is very physical. So when I'm in a location, whether or not I'm told that it's haunted, sometimes I will feel that presence. And it like it's that hair goes up on your neck kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so there's been times that I've arrived somewhere not being told that it's haunted and I'll go ask because I'll feel that and find out it was. And then I've had some other physical experiences and I've only had two auditory experiences. And I don't really want to go into too much on my own experiences okay. because yeah, I don't want to take up too much time on that. But yes, I have. I just, yeah, I just had yeah. to ask you because I'm seeing some similarities between your experiences in a way. I think you kind of just delineated it actually, but but me being a lay person, I would consider myself saw a parallel, and I had to ask you. So you have seen ghosts though, physically? Um, vis no, I don't have that visual skill. But felt, I mean. but felt. I feel them. I have been touched by them and I have heard. And that's the problem. I don't know if it was a ghost. Um, so that's where we have the problem, where the crossover becomes a problem. We don't know if they're interdimensional beings or if they're related to the UAP phenomenon or if they are ghosts. And when I was younger studying this, I actually had this strange theory that maybe we were kind of leaving memories in like oh, yeah. in the like I hate to use this word because this is a controversial word but maybe like within the ether of our planet we are somehow leaving a memory ether is controversial I don't yeah, think Yeah, it sounds so 
It sounds so blue. I mean, up north, we used to spray that in the car engine to get it to start in the winter. Do you remember that, Jason? I mean, I didn't think ether was controversial, but okay. Right in the carburetor. Yeah, exactly. Spray (laughs) right in there, cleaner, right in the carbon. It sounds blue, but there's some science here. There are lots of waves going through our planet. Um, There's gravitational waves, gamma waves. There's uh, EM waves. There's uh, thermal waves. A lot of waves in us. As you said that, I'm sorry, as you said that, uh, Deb, about memories, I started thinking about my childhood home back in New York, which I think, I don't know if someone said it's on the market again. And believe me, if I could afford it back in my hometown, I would buy it. Uh, I can't afford it. But I think if I walked into my childhood home, I'm thinking that alone, I would feel those memories of my mom. You know, my things that happened there, you know, plus the the house was from the late 1700s or something. So there's probably quite a bit of in there. Uh, funny, I think Charles Lindbergh's wife's family. So Lindbergh's wife's family owned the home at one point. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that stuff right. just kind of stays in a place, you know, sometimes. And that's where things get really complicated because we hear people say that part of this phenomenon could be that everything is now, you know? So it's just so complicated to try to unpack that and figure it out. But well, l- let me ask you, I want to actually, actually ask both of you guys that because you, it's because of what you just brought up. Do you, uh, what is your feeling on simulation that we're in a simulation? Both uh, like both you guys. Look, I think we're animals at the end of the day. We're we're a great ape at the end of the day, right? With really, really the best brains of any great ape out there, right? And we have this really good way, a uh, really good skill. Um, our brain enables us to put patterns together and and give us extra senses that most apes don't have right um or we have stronger they have some stronger senses as well they can probably beat the crap out of us right so Mm -hmm. um i think we also have this incredible ability to to see and imagine things that aren't there um but i also think that sure because what is perception right so we have this innate ability to perceive greater than any other animal that we know of maybe except elephants who knows Um, (laughs) (laughs) how topical that is i love it and uh, and um yeah it's very possible that we're all on a i mean what's a simulation right um, somebody else's that we've been programmed I, well deb because probably gonna be able to define it that somehow that our die has been cast and somebody is watching us and this is a, an experiment we're part of it an experiment like you would do in a laboratory i, I assume that's what it means i'm making yeah, i don't i don't believe that um i only i don't believe that only because i'm really into astrophysics and and learning more about basically where we came from evolution and things like that um that's why i don't believe in a god 
that's why I don't believe in heaven or hell. That's why, you know, and I mean, for F's sake, I see ghosts, right? Why aren't they in heaven? Why aren't they in hell, right? So, and they're not, you know, you do see some replays, you know, you might see just a replay of, of an event that happened with ghosts, you know, they're just replaying an event. Um, but most of the time it's ghosts traveling around, <laughs> like just doing, being themselves. Mm. Um, I don't generally hear them. Sometimes I do. Um, sometimes they talk to me, but it's rare. Um, I usually can't hear them, but on some given days, for whatever reason, I can't. Um, my daughter can. Hmm. Um, <sighs> so I just wanted to chime in. Simulation. Yeah, a little bit about hearing and seeing and all that. Um, you know, this ties in. Everything ties in together. It's amazing how that works. Um, it seems like the theory, or I should say the hypothesis about that, is that we are developing through evolution greater perception for what our true reality is. And we're starting to actually be more aware of what's actually happening. That's true. I mean, just in science, we've see, we see that. Um, you know, people used to think the Earth is flat. Some people still do. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if we are in a simulation, we may, it, well, which I'll go into in a moment, my thoughts on that. Um, it's It might just be more, um, we're more aware of it now, you know, so to speak, you know, that we're starting to be more awake to that idea. Let's cut to the chase, Deb. Are we in a simulation? I think that we're taking um, a curvy road here. Okay, so this is how it, this is how it gets a little complicated for me. Okay. Okay. Um, I think that the simulation theory kind of runs parallel with the concept of a before and after of life. Um, I think for me, I think of it in an almost more scientific way that before we're born, we came from somewhere, we are stuck into this body like an avatar, and then after we die, we go back essentially, mm -hmm. um, which goes with the whole thing of nothing in the universe is ever lost. So, and oh, it's that's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, they say energy can neither be created nor destroyed. So, right. So essentially I think we're kind of plugged into the body and then we unplug when we're done with it. Right. But that's with the basis that we might have a soul or right. right which so that's one word for whatever this energy is within us. It doesn't have to be called a soul. It could be called a chi. It could be a biofield, an aura. Yeah. They're all pretty much the same thing. Yeah, aura. Definitely. We all have our own frequency. You know that. Um, and um, we also have a anti-frequency. Um, it's just like everything. everything. Everything vibrates. Everything alive vibrates. Trees vibrate. Everything has its own frequency. Um, mm -hmm. If you, that's a lot of energy. What do you do with that energy? <laughs> you die. And I don't believe that we, I think we can just die. Like the way I, like when people ask me when they find out that I'm godless, whatever, however you want to say it. Um, atheists, whatever. Um, 
you know, I say, do you remember what it was like before you were born? And they go, no. And I was like, that's what it's like when you die. <laughs> but then I see ghosts, right? So I don't know. I don't know why there's some go like some there's some ghosts and there doesn't appear to be that many. Like like if everybody became a ghost, we would be all over the place covering everything. Right. Right? right. So that doesn't make any sense either. Like, do ghosts die? Like when you become do you become a ghost and then die again? I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, my my well, first of all, I mean, I'm open to any of these ideas about, you know, talking about simulation. But if I had to take a guess, speculating, I feel like I don't feel like we are part of um, a simulation, like a game. Is But then if there was some sort of manipulation of DNA, that could that could sort of take you down that road. So I've got to be at least open to that tangent. But as far as right now um, that there are some other intelligences that are acting as these scientists and worthy, I hate to say the word lab rat because it kind of makes me not feel good, but uh, that, that we would be that person and they're sort of looking into our cage watching us and, interested in in each day what we're going to do you know are we going to invade ukraine you know the russians and blah 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 so i i don't think it's at that level in my opinion but i again i'm i'm pure pure speculation here just based on f nothing more than feel but i can you know since uh interacting with all these other people in ufology and hearing their theories and now trying to piece together oh wow maybe there is something that bridged the missing link that, that who uh, resulted in gene manipulation, which allowed us to evolve to this point to where, like Jason said, we're, we're ape-like in, in our, you know, our, the, you know, the way that we interact with each other sometimes, but we're obviously sophisticated enough to make microchips and, and uh, perform brain surgery. You know what, DJ, I just had a thought. What is I'm, I'm really cool. Well, that's true. Oh, well, no. <laughs> Come on, Deb. It's too, give me my tissue now. That's true. But no, I was going to say, what if that manipulation and this evolution of perception are connected? What if they are guiding us to be able to see and connect to them more and we're getting closer and closer and that's what's happening? This is, a, this is a great point that you said, Deb, and it goes back to the beginning of the discussion, is what is the definition of a simulation? And what makes us that special? Well, no, that's, that's another conversation. That's a different conversation. <laughs> What's the def Just for the purposes of this discussion, what is the purpose of What is the definition of a simulation, Deb, in your mind? Remember, I always think of the matrix, like getting plugged into a pre-designed Right, right. So that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it was pre-designed that in right. that way, and and I don't know. I'm just again. This is I'm not purporting myself to be any sort of expert. There are people that have studied this uh, to a you know, uh, ask you know a degree that that far exceeds what I have. I'm just saying it seems to me that there is some agency here, and that it's not just that again scientists looking over into 
the, the fish tank to see what we're doing. I think there is a certain amount of agency and there are probably, I assume, that there are intelligences that came a long time ago that are still coming, that are watching what we're doing, but it's more from a, a standpoint, you know, because now we have to start talking about, okay, uh, the, the, how they're interacting with the water and possibly using uh, uh, a resource that if you go many planets away from here doesn't exist in our solar system except for this one. So, And then you start thinking about, okay, uh, they want biology from us. They're taking samples. People have said they've gone in various orifices in people's bodies and taking biological material. So there must be a reason why. I don't know that reason, but so... There's a lot of things that, that, that indicate that they are still um, working on perhaps their own culture uh, and maybe trying to create a culture rather than, oh, let's just see what the rats do today. So I don't know. That's that. But again, I could be I could be 180 degrees off. So. Yeah, they have different names for that. They call it. Uh, I think one of them is quarantine. That we're in quarantine. I thought that was when I couldn't go to work. Jeez, Deb. Freaking me out, man. But I also don't like thinking of us as being like in a fish tank, you know, right. or just being observed from the outside. And I, I like this idea also the other idea that I mentioned that maybe we're being evolved so we can see these things and be more interactive. It doesn't seem like it's working. It seems like we're devolving uh, from, from a standpoint of how we're uh, we've, we've chosen to treat one another and interact with one another. And you can look at the news. So, you know, right. now people don't even want to talk. They say, well, no, you can text me. I don't want to call you, you know, Aww. not, not, not the case with Deb because Deb does want to talk to me. But I don't mean me, but I mean just people generally, uh, you know, it. people make fun of, have fun with Anjali, somebody who I not only have a crush on, but somebody who <laughs> I believe, you know, her experience. And she says that they say that uh, our communication has not evolved. And then when I just look at the fact that really? people my age, I'm in my mid 50s, that won't talk to you. They just want to text you says, okay, yeah, it has, because they don't know how to have a conversation. And, and you know, it's funny, DJ, this might be another thing to ponder, but maybe that was something else we're being pushed towards, too. Like, maybe that hmm. control hypothesis is we're being guided to do that. We're being guided to communicate that way. Oh, to... To, to, to separate. Well, it's almost like, you know, the... the experiencers say you know they're communicated with with telepathy right so what if we're being guided to communicate in a similar way with technology which may be how their telepathy even works right like maybe that's why we're doing that communication through the oh, waves so, okay okay i see what you're saying i see what you're saying uh so that that they're well, in the, in the sense of when when they're interacting with us, they are showing you telepathy or whatever. You know, obviously, there may not be an English word a word in in human language for what it is that they're doing, but as we understand it, yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting thought. Uh, yeah. If that's the case, very interesting. Some people have claimed that there's some kind of like antenna, something 
electrical that's a part of the entities that they see. And, you know, that could be how the telepathy is even working. And, you know, it's just a whole lot of possibilities. Deb, you, I'm having PTSD right now. You're looking at a guy whose nickname in college, when I was in Massachusetts, was Kazoo. Because the little, uh, my mouth guard, I was so small and I didn't cut the ends. They stuck <laughs> up like two antennas and my teammates call me Kazoo to this day. So I'm verklempt again. <laughs> oh, no. In tennis. So, so back to communication and antennas on a different path. Okay. I wanted to get a little bit to um, Jason's experience with SETI. And what he's doing with trying to communicate. I got about five minutes remaining. I want to hear what this brother got to say about SETI since James was all up in that business the other day. Oh, sure. So, again, you can use any off-the-shelf radio from any good good brand. Icom, Kenwood, Yesu, um, a couple other ones, Elenco. Um, but basically anything that lets you do HF and microwave. Um, you want to be able to do microwave because to me, that's where I see a lot of the interesting signals, um, at least in my experience. Um, I don't see a lot of, I, we probably don't see a lot in the HF bands that much, mainly because we're using them. So it's, right. you know, it's, it's just crowded. Um, so if something from out of space even made it into that, 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 that band there's noise it anyway right. yeah um but when you get up into the um the higher the higher frequencies or lower depending on how you look at it um when you when you get into the microwave and higher um that's where you can find more interesting stuff because not a lot talks on that satellites mm -hmm. some satellites do mm -hmm. um iss has some uplinks and downlinks um in the high gigahertz range mm -hmm. Off of telemetry and things like that, um, space satellites. Um, but believe it or not, a lot of satellites work just on with with a ham radio. Um, they just wow. use the ham radio on the satellite and they communicate over UHF and VHF. Hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> Before you um, delineate from the frequency, that's a question that gets asked a lot. People want to know what that frequency is. I think they want a number. There's not one number. Um, I would look up in the three gigahertz range, anywhere between three and five mm -hmm. um, gigahertz range. That's where I would see um, interesting signals. Um, I want to say around, I'm trying to remember. Three point six. 3.7, I think, was a common one right around there, um, 3 gigahertz. Um, so, Jason, when you hear Lil, Lou Elizondo saying it's incredibly simple to try to draw them in or to make some sort of contact, is this modality that you're using what he's talking about, or, or have you not ever heard him say that? I know Deb has. Um, yeah, it, it can be. Um, but to, to transmit on that, on microwave, you need a you need power. On a power. Yeah. yeah, I know. Um, the lower the frequency, when you get that down into the low HF, um, or LF low frequencies, 
you don't need very much power. That's what's nice about the Lowy because it has such a large uh, wavelength mm-hmm. that it doesn't require a lot of power to push it. When you get into the really tight wavelengths, like microwave, yeah, you need to have gamma, your infrared, your generator like, out there. <laughs> yeah, more than that. <laughs> um, yeah, you're looking at you know a couple kilowatts at least. Yeah, of power. Um, when you're listening, if you don't mind, um, because I got to get out of here, so I just want to get a last question in. Uh, when you're listening to these signals, um, what what are you hearing that makes you say, okay, that right there, I'm hearing something anomalous there? Because by now, I'm I'm, I'm guessing that you've sort of discerned some of the communications mm-hmm. with different vehicles that we have that are in 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 up in orbit. So how do you? When it repeats. Okay. So, and when it has certain um, characteristics, like maybe it looks binary in nature, like a, a FSK signal, which is a frequency shift keyed mm-hmm. signal in modulation where it looks like two peaks bouncing up and down mm-hmm. in a spectrum analyzer. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. To me, that's intelligent. That's somebody that's modulating a signal that's on purpose. Um or it could just look like a new technique that we don't use on Earth, but it's definitely some kind of modulation. You can mm-hmm. tell if it's modulated. It's going to be really obvious mm-hmm. um, because you'll see a carrier wave or more than one carrier wave, possibly, um, given the frequency. And, um, and you'll, you'll see encapsulation of some sort. Um, and I would see that. And that appeared to come from space that wasn't a satellite, um, that wasn't in the registry of satellites and was something new um so there was something to that that didn't appear to be a pulsar that you know didn't appear to be gamma or anything like that um and you know when it comes to radiation and things like that you do have harmonics you have harmonics in all frequencies for the most part mm-hmm. so in doppler right so a doppler can push it down harmonics as well um especially through long distances and that's why when a satellite goes overhead if you're receiving from a satellite, like if I go out and try to hit the repeater on a satellite, mm-hmm. I need to shift the frequency down as it's going over the satellite so I stay on the fre- the frequency because of Doppler shift. Um, it's the same thing when you're trying to listen to outer space is you're going to have a lot of that going back and forth, watching that in your in your waterfall, trying to just catch it as it's moving to try to, you know, as you're inputting that sound into a recording program, to then um, evaluate later. If you're, uh, this is my last question before I go, if, um, if I if I can, Deb. Did your first? What do you think there would say to you? And if you came into contact, what would be your first words? What would you want to say? What are you doing here? Yeah, I think that's the stage most people are at. I'm not at that one yet. <laughs> Just like, hey, what are you doing here? Is there anything I can do to help? <laughs> you know, if it's if it's oh, you know, if it's uh, not threatening. Um, yeah, I mean, so far it just looks like they just want information. Um, and to your yeah. point, maybe they're just trying to grow themselves. You know, and I kind of you know the only thing I can akin it to is what would we be doing on another planet, right? So if you go to another planet that has life, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do reconnaissance, right? We're going to try to yeah. learn as much oh, as... 
it's inarguable that there's reconnaissance going on. That's not that, that, you know, when people say there's nothing that we know, um, that, so they say that we don't know anything. Nobody knows anything. I say, no, that's not true necessarily. And that in itself, making that statement is absolutism. So there are some things that we can make some pretty educated assumptions on. For example, if, I'm just going to throw it out there. You're out in some Navy craft and you're out there on the ocean somewhere and you see a craft and that craft, whatever it is, I don't care what shape it is or what type it is, but you're seeing it's a craft. It is something that is not a terrestrial vehicle and it is observing that ship and floating next to the ship. That is reconnaissance. Yeah. <laughs> that I mean, there's no two ways about that, that if it's not, doing something offensive or doing something defensive against, you know, because you're offensive, then it's it, that right there is surveillance and reconnaissance. That's what, that's what, uh, that ISR intelligence surveillance reconnaissance. That's what it is. So, yeah, I mean, why why they're doing that. That's, that's another thing. Well, that's the thing. That's, that's where we can go into a whole bunch of different directions. Yeah. Nobody knows. Right. And I've, I, I will say I've complained yeah. that they've done it for a really long time at this point, but someone pointed out to me that time is, in our concept of time, may not be another entity's concept. Well, who's they? You know, the Joe Rogan says they a zillion times on a podcast. Who is they? We don't because know. Of, yeah, because of the <laughs> fact that we don't. Maybe more there than could, one day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there there right. could be so many intelligences. Deb thinks that, oh, they're bad at surveillance. Well, we don't know who they are because there are different intel different intelligences that may be here for different reasons and and also surveilling because the craft that they were describing in the forties and fifties don't look like what we're seeing today. Nobody is seeing saucers right now. That I mean, nobody is seeing saucers. Think about that. Hmm. So so we don't know who we don't know who these intelligences are. Obviously, we don't know where they come from. So there could have been many different intelligences that were here already that we didn't know they were here, that were coming here. Uh, you know, Ramirez says they were definitely were outside of the atmosphere and they were seeing them in, you know, out in space, entering the atmosphere, so on and so forth, uh, mm-hmm. but not burning in the way that the space shuttle would do. And, you know, you have all those right. heat tiles going, <sighs> you know, these guys are like, bloop. But anyway, all that said, um, I think, you know, the, they're surveilling us uh, and 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 reconning for whatever those reasons are. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Jason, nice to meet you, brother. You too, DJ. I like the hat. I want to get one of those for a future episode I'm planning. I need to look like I'm from Boston. I want to call myself Sully. And for that, I need a derby. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Deb, thank you, man. Well, TJ, please tell everyone where they can find you. Oh, me? Oh, me? Oh, yes. well, uh, <laughs> at so uh, I am at call underscore all underscore beings. Uh, Deb is our researcher on the show. Uh, the Twitter handle for the show is at calling beings. And uh, you can find us uh, interviewing all kinds of crazy people uh in in a crazy fashion and deb does at least bring a modicum of seriousness to this show <laughs> i might be a little too serious i don't Thank know <laughs> no we love you deb thank you so much pleasure thank to meet you, you jason yeah we'll pleasure meeting you too dj and Thank deb you, was a pleasure
Thank you. Well, Jason, I do have a few more questions for you. So you can hang around for just a few more minutes. Don't worry. I'm not going to take too much more of your time. I wanted to make sure I got to um, some specific things. Uh, First of all, you were talking about, um, you know, you see, well, I should say both visually see a pattern, I suppose, when you're doing the ham radio signal detection, but also I presume hear it. Um, so why why is the public not hearing about that in general? I think that there's actually quite a bit of research. If um, I don't have anything that I could send you right now, but I am in. There is a Reddit um, that's dedicated to using radio to search for intelligent life. Um, and there's a groups.io um, as well. And I will, I will forward you those links. Um, basically, I don't know why you don't, don't hear it. Um, I mean, I have heard about unidentified sounds that exist on the planet. I have a section on the ufoconnector.com about that. And some of those sounds are coming from the ocean. They, they're um, coming from government reports are letting people know there are some sounds that are unidentified, but they are not publicly stating that people with ham radios are hearing space signals. They're not. That's all they're, put- that's all they're using. That's exactly, you know, I know, um, but they're not. Why is that not big news? I don't know. I think it has a lot to do with. Um, what's the word? Um, Caution? Is it caution? Are they yeah, afraid? It's, yeah, I think it's caution. I think that um, it's hard to peer review. Um, the only thing that you can peer review is if you record it and you're able to share it. Um, and that's where it kind of falls apart. If you just get a, a signal that seems intelligent and it's not up long enough for you to hit record, you can't do anything with it. You can't say, oh, I heard, you know, nobody's going to believe you. Um, and it it can be expensive, <laughs> so um, you know a yeah. radio is going to cost you fourteen hundred dollars at least. Um, antenna is going to cost you another few hundred to a thousand dollars. Wow. Power supply is another couple hundred bucks, um, and then you know you need the space. Um, not everybody has space for a big old antenna. Um, yes, and if sir. you're in an HOA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything compact that someone on a budget can use like, or there's an app the, or anything? All right. So here's my recommendation. If you're, you're in an HOA, but still have fairly okay yard. Like if you have a yard that's quarter acre, um, even an eighth of an acre, I think you'd be okay with this antenna. It's the go-to antenna. Um, if you just Google go-to antenna, um, it can, it can just look like uh, two bird feeders. in your backyard which is kind of cool um and then there's the end fed half wave center fed off center fed half waves and those are anywhere between um usually around 40 to 130 feet um and that's just a random wire antenna so it's just wire that's really thin um and you can if you have a fence in your backyard you can just kind of clip it to the top of the fence 
in a big U pattern or a C pattern, and that will give you really good reception. Um, the higher you can put it, the better, because then you, you pull it out of the noise. Um, but if you can't do that, it's still a good compromise. Um, in most cases, you're going to be compromising anyway. So if you have trees, then you're better off um, if you get one of these end-fed half waves, trying to get it up in a tree so that it's vertical instead of horizontal. And that will pick up more frequencies at, um, at the horizon going across um, at more like a 30 or 40 degree angle. When it's horizontal, you're doing um, what's called EME, Earth, Moon, um, or and, uh, what's it called? NVIS, Near Vertical Incident Skywave. So you're shooting it almost straight up, the signal, um, when you're transmitting. And then if the ionosphere isn't ion, if there's no ionization in the ionosphere, it just goes straight into space. Um, so that would be like your nighttime or your early morning where you can do that uh, or bounce off the moon, bounce off asteroids and get really far if you're just doing ham radio contests, not doing anything related to SETI or anything like that. Um, and, um, but yeah, and you can get uh, NFED half wave uh, on eBay for like less than $100. Okay. I think I'm going to ask you to uh, provide me with a list of all of this really important data at some point so that we can share that with people. Um, I really think a lot of people want to be able to see or hear what you are detecting. Um, and I'm curious to know how many times have you gotten a signal? Um, since I've been doing this at home, um, I haven't heard anything yet uh, because I'm still setting up my hardware. Um, right now, I have an IC705 from ICOM that I'm using uh, for the radio. Um, mm -hmm. I will upgrade later to something um, a little beefier. Um, this is what's called a QRP radio or a low-power radio, uh, but it can still receive really, really well, and that's why I got it. It's a great receiver. And, um, and I have that, and I have a 100-watt amp to use with it to transmit, which you don't need to listen. Um, and then just, uh, the, I have 130 feet um, NFED half wave on my fence. And I also have a 40 meter dipole on my roof, which um, gives me better reception in, on the 40 meter band uh, without any noise. Okay, so you say you haven't, with all that gear, you haven't um, finished setting up completely so you haven't heard anything yet at home but that means prior when you were with the navy that's when you were hearing a lot of them right and how 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 many guesstimate wise do you think that you probably heard i just want to give people an idea of um how often this might be happening not very often it it was the i mean the whole time i was in the navy i may have heard like in a given month, I may have heard 10 to 15 um, that could be considered intelligent. And again, out of those, how many could have been, I don't know. Um, but that's what that's what we're doing, right? We're trying to figure this out. Um, but that was out in the ocean. Um, here, I have a lot of noise. Um, and so that's why I'm still trying to work on a better antenna. Um, the best antenna to probably use 
for receiving um, would be a log periodic antenna or a Yagi antenna, which is very directional. And so you could point it to specific um, constellations, say, right, that, that I remember, like Capricorn, trying to point it towards Capricorn, where I've heard signals before from, um, or, you know, near Orion's belt, might get some, you know, some data from there because we think there might be intelligent life in some of those solar systems around that area, right? Um, they have Goldilocks planets, they have things like that. Um, so that's what I would focus on. Um, and you can get those fairly inexpensive. You can build them pretty cheap. You can go on Google, um, YouTube, look how to build a, a whatever kind of dipole for whatever frequency you're trying to hit. And um, if you want to do microwave frequencies, get get a used dish. Um, uh, what do you call it? Reflector. But, uh, you know, it looks like a satellite dish. Um, just get one of those. for You can get them from a, for a few bucks off of eBay. Um, might even find them at a junkyard. Um, those will get you anything in the microwave ranges. Um, anywhere from... Uh, 1.2 gigahertz all the way up to around 5 gigahertz. Well, I definitely appreciate that you're giving people this information. Again, I think we're really grateful that you're part of the community. Um, I know that we've also had some discussions, um, again, that go into the just the nuts and bolts, and I'm hoping we'll have some more discussions about that. I know we talked about things like time dilation and negative energy, and I think concepts that like we'll probably have to have another conversation about at some point <laughs> because those are things that not everyone understands. Like, frankly, there's so much that we need to just kind of break down and simplify so that everyone can understand violation is a whole thing that's just hard to wrap your head around right so that's... i think that we're probably going to end up having to have another conversation just to get into all of that material um and i just really appreciate that you came to talk to me today i just have one final question because i think you've already answered some of the questions that um people messaged to me um but I had one, and I, of course, don't fully understand this because I'm not a ham radio operator yet. Mm -hmm. um, but the question was USB, LSB, or other. I don't know what that means. That's but... a great question. So because we don't know if they're, what you're looking for is going to be modulated, if it's going to be whatever, I just put it on CW, um, which is this carrier wave, and then I increase my bandwidth for the receive and then i'll narrow the bandwidth if i do pick up a signal to whatever the bandwidth of the signal is or close to whatever the bandwidth of the signal is so a uh, single sideband means that it would have a suppressed carrier and only transmit on one side of the the, the band right so um like in an am it looks like a a hump right so you have this this hump um and what single sideband does is it cuts one half off and then suppresses the the carrier wave or the continuous wave that would carrier wave um and how would they know how to do that it would, do they know how to do that um you know how are they transmitting frequency they could be using um something that oscillates that we have no 
idea, you know, so we're just doing the best with what we have. Right. And so when I can pull in that raw signal, um, with just having it on CW, um, then I can start applying different filters to it to try to make it intelligible. Right. I, um, I do think a lot of people misunderstand when people hear the term radio. A lot of people misunderstand and think that there might be ET sitting there with a the boom box. And that's not exactly <laughs> what people are looking at when they're looking for the radio waves. They're actually just looking for kind of literal waves that are interacting. You know? I would say a lot of the time when I do hear something interesting, I will flip to AM. Uh, because all AM is is amplitude modulation. And so that's the really the earliest form of radio. Um, and so that would be like the easiest way to transmit something over a radio frequency. Right. Uh, I just with the I least amount of effort. I think, yeah, I think we're uh, the people who think it's a boom box. Where I, is. Like the, I think it's like <laughs> a little egotistical to think that uh, they're necessarily going to be doing something like we did where they're transmitting music through boom boxes. You know, that's a human thing. What I think a lot of the projects that are using uh, radio technology are looking for, it's just like I said, the, the patterns of the waves. That's not really so much about music being transmitted or, you know, fireside chats, you know? Right. So I think, right. yeah. you want some, you, it's good to have an oscilloscope um, or a radio with a built-in oscilloscope. Um, waterfall helps because you'll get some of the oscilloscope functions on a waterfall, but or at least the spectrum analyzer function, um, because you can see the waveform under an oscilloscope, and you can get them really cheap now. Um, God, when I was younger, I wanted one so bad, and they were like ten grand. Now you can get them for a couple hundred bucks um, on Amazon, which is crazy. And um, <clears throat> that that's going to give you the waveform. So you plug your antenna into the oscilloscope, and then you put the output to your radio. So as you're tuning, it will show what's on you know it'll show the signal on the oscilloscope the wave the actual wave so just like you would see in any you know like old tvs when you'd get that that funny signal and things like that um but if you just look up oscilloscopes on google images you'll see what i mean um and then you can learn the different kinds of of waves um or modulation and you can see that in a oscilloscope. You can see what an AM signal looks like. You can see what an FM signal looks like. And these are very rudimentary modulation techniques, amplitude modulation and frequency modulation. Animals have the ability to do that. Yeah. We do that with our voice. It's amplitude modulation. I think they also frequency modulation. Yeah. I think about they also think animals may be connecting to some of the gravitational and magnetic waves that we're not necessarily always fully aware of. Yeah, birds do it all the right. time. That's how they right. migrate. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's just a, a lot for us to continue to get through. I'm so grateful that you're part of the community and trying to give more information about the technology aspect, um, including, you know, not only, um, you know, potential, you know, explanations for uap physics but also of course the radio technology thank you so much 
um, also for sharing about your experiences because, you know, I know not everyone is really comfortable and brave enough to do that. So it's we're grateful that you're doing that. Um, I think people are getting to the point where um, they're starting to become more comfortable and you're definitely one of the people pioneering with them, you know? <laughs> I think I think it helps that we see a lot more of it on TV now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with uh, the, the different ghost hunter shows, the, the different um, shows about signals. Um, uh, what is that show? My friend Josh, who's a ham radio operator uh, in California, he was on it. Um, oh, such a bad long-term memory. Um, I, it's on... I want to say it's on. Is it like unidentified or something like that? It's called something signals, I think. Okay. And um, it's like. Darn it. Well, <laughs> but yeah, it's um. If I find it, I'll tweet it to you, DM it. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's um it's all about um signals and um unknown signals and things like that. Right. So I feel like, yeah, we're getting to a different place where we can have these more open conversations, thankfully, and we can continue to also look at the, it's, it's interesting because we can definitely still tackle nuts and bolts. Like that's, you know, one big part of it while tackling this other side that, you know, we need to understand. I think you're going to be surprised when you read Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, they did it. They did both sides. Yeah, I've heard, like, I've heard about it from a lot of my friends that are also into it. I just haven't had the time to, to look at it. But right. I, it's definitely on my docket to, to look at. Yeah, I would say it's a fairly quick read. I think you'll uh, you'll probably be a little bit intrigued and gripped to it, you know, so... <laughs> Okay. Well, again, I wanted to thank you very much for coming to talk to me. Um, can you please let people know how they can reach you? Yeah, at Krippyhef on Twitter, C-R-Y-P-I-E-H-E-F um, on Twitter is probably the best way to get a hold of me. My DMs are open. Okay. Again, thank you so much. I want to go ahead and say goodbye to everyone also. Um you guys can find me at Study of UAPs on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And I'll also, of course, I am a member of Calling All Beings. And we can be uh, found on YouTube, Calling All Beings on YouTube. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. Uh, thank you for having me. Cheers. Thank you.